The Blunt Post with Vic. Good morning, happy Monday, and welcome to The Blunt Post with Vic. I am your host, Vic Jaramie, the editor and publisher of The Blunt Post. The Blunt Post with Vic is a program that covers national, regional, and local headline news, offers analysis and commentary, and I interview members of Congress, local elected officials, and other high-profile public figures. Today, after my Let's Get Blunt segment, I have two very special guests. Uh, first, I interviewed Peter Abadjian, who is the executive director of the Paris Foundation. And then next, I chat with photographer Rafi Berberian, who created Armenia in Between, uh, which we'll talk about a bit later. So stay tuned. Let's get blunt. Let's get blunt. Let's get blunt. For those of you who listen uh, to my show regularly know that uh, my segment, Let's Get Blunt, is when I talk about a topic and I uh, don't filter myself, uh, I don't succumb to politics of respectability, and I just basically say it as it is. I'm blunt. And so today, I'm going to take it up a notch because uh, there's really so much to unpack about this topic. Yesterday was the 107th anniversary of the Armenian Genocide, the first modern genocide of the 20th century. It took Armenians, their uh, descendants uh, of the survivors of the genocide, uh, 106 years to get the United States to finally recognize the genocide. President Biden was the first president to officially uh, recognize the genocide, although uh, President Reagan in 1981 mentioned it, but then he sort of walked back. And it was always due to pressure from Turkish lobby, and the State Department being worried that we would uh, offend a quote-unquote strategic ally. Uh, how strategic, I don't know. Turkey has shown in the last couple of decades that they're not very reliable, but that's another topic. The first thing I want to um, say is this. President Biden's recognition of the Armenian genocide, which, you know, it was significant, however, <laughs> The genocide happened. It's not up for debate. Pretty much every scholar historian has uh, concluded that it was genocide. So President Biden basically agreed with a lot of other people. Nonetheless, we were excited. What happened was a week after recognizing the Armenian genocide last year on April 24th, uh, 2021, uh, President Biden and Secretary Blinken decided they're going to lift Section 907 of the Freedom Act and allow the U.S. to give over $100 million of military aid to Azerbaijan. So why this matters? Again, most of you who have been listening know that in uh, 2020, uh, nations of Azerbaijan and Turkey orchestrated a genocidal assault and ethnic cleansing on the indigenous Armenians of Artsakh, also known by its Soviet name, Nagorno-Karabakh, massacred over 5,000 Armenians within 44 days, while the world watched in deafening silence. Now, of course, President Biden wasn't president then. It was President Trump who did nothing about it. But a nation like Azerbaijan 
who is still pursuing ethnic cleansing of Armenians from their indigenous historic land of millennia should not be getting $100 million of taxpayer money uh, for quote-unquote military. This money that is then turned around and uh, spent on killing Armenians and ethnically cleansing villages and towns where Armenians are living in terror. In fact, a few weeks ago, for about three weeks, uh, Azerbaijan um, cut off gas and electricity to Artsakh uh, during freezing temperatures and made sure that people were as miserable as they can be. And this continues. So, of course, unlike the outcry of uh, the international community um, for what happened to Ukraine, rightfully so, and I'm glad that um, the invasion of Ukraine was met with uh, international outrage. But why couldn't some of that be done when Artsakh was attacked? So what I'm trying to say is that I'm disappointed in President Biden and Secretary Blinken and their sort of boilerplate Armenian genocide statements that they have some speechwriter um, release because it means nothing. When you are going, when you are funding Azerbaijan, first of all, Azerbaijan doesn't need anyone's money. They have unlimited uh, source of revenue from oil and gas. But when you do that, when you embolden Aliyev, when you don't hold them accountable for what they're doing, and when you're you know, when you get on a soapbox and talk about human rights and freedom and self-determination, but that's limited to certain people, certain nations, but not people of Artsakh, uh, an independent republic that was created in 1991, then you are a hypocrite. So it pains me to say that because I've, you know, I'm a progressive and I vote with Democrats and I've voted for President Biden. But uh, this is very disappointing. We've heard nothing from him about this. This pan-Turkism and the Armenian genocide that started in, well, actually it started before 1915. It started in the late uh, 1800s with uh, massacres in Adana and other parts of the Ottoman Empire. But it continues. It's the same thing because Turkey always has said that they are one nation with two states, meaning Turkey and Azerbaijan. And for me, it's just bittersweet. Uh, and it needs to be said. So I'm not going to sugarcoat or I'm not going to co-sign the BS of a political party that I am affiliated with. Um, I call out anyone that's a hypocrite. I don't care if they're Democrats. I don't care if they are, uh, you know, any other group that I normally affiliate, you know, I'm affiliated with. And the other thing I want to talk about is the Orange County Democratic Party. So the mayor of Irvine, uh, Farah Khan, who is a Pakistani-American, um, has had a history of um, sort of partnerships, or whatever you want to call it, friendships and alliances and strategic partnerships with with just uh, very outspoken, notorious Armenian genocide deniers. And 
about a month ago, this video was uh, uncovered of her being in the presence of the uh, Turkish uh, Consul General, as well as a, a notorious genocide denier, Ergun Kilikovali, uh, during which a joke was made about uh, uh, Armenians and how they were slaughtered during the genocide in a very gratuitous way. And uh, Mayor Khan um, kind of participated in a, in a joking manner, and she had her own very insulting and just disgusting, honestly, um, comment to make. Following that, uh, of course, uh, uh, Armenians, you know, they issued statements and Armenians sort of uh, reached out to uh, the city of Irvine and the democratic establishment. First, she, she did what a lot of people do, which is deny that uh, she did it. She, in fact, um, claimed that it was a doctored video. Of course, many people authenticated the video that it wasn't doctored and it was her. So then she decides to uh, issue a non-apology, this absurd video where uh, it's very obvious that someone with, uh, <laughs> with some sort of a public relations 101 damage control um, wrote some script that she read, uh, hoping that that would just do it, uh, sort of a non-apology that made things even worse because she took no responsibility for anything. She didn't address uh, this uh, Kili Kavali um, gentleman who goes around and anyone who's been on his social media will see the most despicable posts about uh, the Armenian genocide and denying it and such. So very soon after this video and her um, extremely distasteful um, reaction to it, the Orange County Democratic Party decides to endorse her because she's up for re-election as the mayor of Irvine, which is just astounding. And of course, their, their justification is that she has apologized, which she hasn't. We all know real apologies, and we also know um, PR apologies where you don't want to offend uh, those who are sort of uh, buttering your bread. So that's where we're at now. And I, and I think that the Orange County Democratic Party should rescind their endorsement. Uh, she doesn't deserve it. She doesn't deserve to be the mayor of Irvine. Irvine should not have um, someone who's so hateful and so uh, who is um, associated with um, such hateful individuals who are armenophobes and are openly uh, joking about uh, Armenians being slaughtered and disappearing. Just the fact that I have to do this is, is just absurd. But, you know, there you have it. We have to be, um, uh, we have to voice our concerns and, and be blunt and call them out. So I am calling out the Orange County Democratic Party. This is disgusting. I hope that um, members of Congress from Orange County, such as uh, um, Katie Porter um, and, uh, and Congressman uh, Alan Lowenthal, will actually look into this and will actually take a stand and say this is just not acceptable. Because it's really, you know, Armenians are being killed right now as we speak. This isn't something that's over. Azerbaijan is basically ethnically cleansing Armenians, as I said, as we speak from Artsakh, their 
homeland of millennia. And yet here's a woman, Farrah Khan, uh, joking about it. So there you have it. Let's get blunt and let's keep talking. Let's get blunt. This is Ed Begley Jr. And you're listening to KPFK 90.7 FM Los Angeles, 98.7 FM Santa Barbara, and worldwide at kpfk.org. Donating your car or boat is an excellent way to help KPFK stay alive and on air. All you have to do is call 877-KPFK-AUTO. That's 877-KPFK-AUTO, and we'll take care of everything. The Blunt Post with Vic. Peter Abadjian is the executive director of the Paris Foundation, an organization with humanitarian, educational, cultural, and development projects in Armenia and Artsakh. For over 25 years, Peter has been a leading advocate for the Armenian-American community. During his tenure with the Armenian Assembly, moving to Armenia to launch the Paris Foundation and his many philanthropy work. Good morning, Peter. Thank you for being on the Blunt Post with Vic this morning. How are you today? I'm doing terrific. Good morning, Vic. Thank you for having me. Yeah, it's a pleasure to have you. A uh, pleasure to have one of the leaders of the Armenian-American community who's been in the trenches for decades now. Um, it's definitely a pleasure. Um, I want to hear all about uh, the different initiatives and all the work you've done. You have a very impressive resume. Um, of course, now you're the executive director of the Paros Foundation. Correct. Um, and I'll stop talking and I'm going to let you tell everyone that's listening uh, about the Paros Foundation. So the Paros Foundation uh, was started in 2006. And what, um, what we did was uh, one, of our, uh, one of my uh, friends, um, past colleague, reached out and said, listen, I um, am thinking about doing some additional work in Armenia. He had started uh, with his family doing a little bit of support for uh, a choir called the Paros Chamber Choir in Armenia, and said, um, you know, I want, I'm thinking about launching a foundation. Would you consider, you know, launching it with me and running it? So we partnered up in 2006. Um, I, I made an initial trip to Armenia uh, to uh, meet and see what he's done on the ground with uh, his colleagues there. And we did, made the determination to uh, become involved. And we had to pick sort of how to engage. Um, so we initially, the, the initial model was to work with uh, vibrant leaders in the local NGO scene uh, through our choir, um, through uh, an organization called Gohanj, through the Manana Youth Center. And we built up a portfolio um, and a unique model of providing these organizations with office space and NGO mentoring, so to speak, uh, to help make them become uh, stronger organizations and to help them uh, attract resources uh, from the diaspora communities. Uh, and then soon thereafter, we evolved the model into um, a project-based model of philanthropy where we serve as a bridge between projects that need implementation uh, and funding sources. And then we actually oversee the implementation of those projects. So it's been a hell of a run uh, since 2006, um, building upon you know, past successes. It's it's been fun. I like that um, your model included, you know, as they say in the cliche sort of analogy of you you you're you've been teaching them how to fish rather than just handing fish over to them. These 
uh, newer and younger NGOs in Armenia and uh, sort of uh, empowering them. Yeah, that's the key. Uh, you know, for our choir, for instance, uh, the Paros Chamber Choir, um, they do a terrific job attracting, you know, local resources, local support, uh, writing grants. Um, but for instance, somebody from the U.S. that finds out about them that wants to support them needs that bridge, needs that uh, 501c to donate through. Um, and we serve in that capacity. But, you know, we've also helped hone their grant writing skills and help hone their um, public approach to uh, donors. Uh, I'll, I'll tell you a quick story. I remember the first time we met with uh, one of the organizations we support. It was summer and they locked us in a room without water or food, uh, without a window and, you know, uh, in the heat for an hour and 15 minutes and told us what an excellent organization they were. <laughs> wow. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, you know, we've taught how to give, uh, we've taught them how to give very succinct and uh, short tours and always have water on hand for guests, et cetera, right. et cetera. Things like that. that Elevator make... speech. Exactly. Exactly. Because these organizations uh, that we, you know, are involved with really do an excellent job um, staying true to their mission, um, but needed a little bit of polish back in the day. So, yeah. And I was reading about the Paros Foundation being really a good source for other organizations that sort of need a bridge, as you said, or need um, like a conduit to diaspora, as well as uh, um, other organizations in Artsakh and Armenia. That's been the other uh, really excellent piece of the organizational pie. Um, we've helped give birth to several other nonprofit organizations, you know, groups that started out with a great idea. Um, we, we have a project right now that's Musical Armenia. Um, that's helping provide scholarships for students in Armenia to attend music school. Um, someday that project may have enough donors and enough um, guidance on its through its local board in the U.S. where it becomes its own 501c org. And that would be terrific. Um, the Goals Organization, Girls Leadership Soccer in Armenia, um, has become its own 501c organization. We had a project called Oknushun uh, that was about dog therapy in Armenia that was run out of the U.S. again. And we served as that bridge and helped establish them uh, to the point where they became their own charity and, and now is, uh, uh, you know, doing their work and overseeing their project themselves in Armenia. So it's a, it's a terrific teaching position to be in and, and helping assistance position to be in. Yeah. And just to name it, uh, you had this initiative you launched uh, before, um, you know, years ago, you launched it that the, the 100 uh, 400 projects for Pros Pros prosperity initiative, which you continued and I looked it up and there are so many different uh, organizations, different types of organizations uh, that you are helping. Some are cultural, educational, humanitarian, uh, medical, etc. Um, and people can sort of um, learn about each one. Um, let me just before we go any further, first, I want to ask you if you can tell us your website. Of course, it's parosfoundation.org, P-A-R-O-S foundation.org. Okay, great. Those of you who are just joining us, this is The Blunt Post with Vic. Uh, I am your host, Vic Jaramie, and I am uh, chatting with uh, Peter Abadjian, who is the executive director of the Paros Foundation, the Paros Foundation doing uh, lots of humanitarian uh, and other types of um, 
uh, work and initiatives across uh, the US and Armenia and Artsakh. And right now the, there's a lot of need for that and we'll get into that. Uh, so we're back with uh, uh, Peter. Right now, you know, Peter, uh, Armenia is sort of going through another existential threat. Um, for those who don't know, who are listening in, on September 27, 2020, uh, nations of Azerbaijan and Turkey orchestrated a genocidal assault um, and ethnic cleansing on the Armenians of the Independent Republic of Artsakh, um, also known as Nagorno-Karabakh to those, it's the Soviet name, um, to basically ethnically cleanse Armenians from their indi indigenous Armenians from their historic ancestral lands of millennia and uh, even threatening Armenia proper. Um, this is sort of a, a bigger issue of pan-Turkism and the alliance between Azerbaijan and Turkey, two rogue dictators, Aliyev and Erdogan. And so therefore, uh, after you know 5,000 plus Armenians being massacred in 44 days in 2020, something that we don't hear too much about, um, the media has not done a good job covering it. So the need right now is uh, is great for um, organizations like the Paros Foundation. Um, and so, Peter, how has that sort of changed the landscape? Um, what are your current challenges? Excellent question. Um, it's been quite the challenge in that uh, sort of two things happened. Um, there's a refugee crisis in Armenia and Artsakh of um, approximately 100,000 people. Um, people, you know, were forced to leave their lands um, with oftentimes just the clothes on their back uh, to get to, to flee and get to safe, uh, you know, a safe place for their children, uh, for their families. Uh, and then after the war, now they're left with trying to resettle, whether it's in uh, Armenia proper, or they try to go back to Artsakh, um, to its smaller footprint, obviously. So the, the housing challenge and the infrastructure challenge in Artsakh specifically is huge. And the housing challenge in Armenia um, in these communities with these new uh, displaced refugee families is also huge. Uh, the second challenge, um, and, you know, and I can talk, you know, for hours about what we're doing to address the first first challenge, but the second challenge is specifically uh, these new border along Armenia and Azerbaijan uh, because Azerbaijan uh, conquered territory um, and we, uh, you know, Armenia signed a, a, a settlement to uh, end the active fighting, uh, which included them giving back uh, a chunk of territory, uh, relinquishing control over territory. So families um, pulled out of those communities and now there's this new border uh, there's new border communities that were formed between Armenia and Azerbaijan, uh, east in, along eastern Armenia and, and along Artsakh. And those communities are in uh, crisis mode as well. Um, their infrastructure in these communities is, you know, 30 plus years old. Uh, the Soviets did a, you know, a bad job during their control and then subsequent to their control. Um, independence brought, you know, also... Um, a decline to the infrastructure in these communities. So their schools, kindergartens, uh, roads, water, water sources um, that need to be improved upon. And now not only is this community, you know, uh, right on the border with uh, a, a territory that's now under Azeri control, but 
also has, um, you know, a bunch of new families living there um, because that's where they've, you know, chosen to settle, for instance. So it's a, it's a double whammy. Um, you have housing crises and then you have these new border communities to invest in and try to help improve. Uh, certainly. I'm glad you brought up the water resources because uh, aside from land grab, uh, Azerbaijan and Turkey were also interested in, uh, well, land grab and the mines and all of that was to have control over uh, Artsakh's uh, water sources. Um, and now they have, um, they're constantly cutting off Artsakh uh, from water. And uh, of course, for several weeks, their electricity and gas um, in freezing temperatures, literally freezing temperature, temperatures, uh, just another way of, to intimidate them, harass them, to uh, force them uh, to leave, to leave uh, Artsakh. So it's, it's, a, it's really an extremely challenging situation. And I can't imagine any organization, no matter how big or small, has enough capacity to, to really address even a fraction of that. Um, I'm sure you're getting, you know, so much, so many requests for what you really have the capacity for. It's overwhelming. Uh, the need uh, that we're facing, uh, my colleagues in Armenia that work with us are, you know, receiving daily calls from families asking for everything from diapers to funding for temporary rent, um, you know, up to, up to homes. And, you know, I'm, I'm very proud to say that we've, you know, working with uh, some other organizations in the community, in the Armenian community as well, have launched housing reconstruction for these displaced families. Um, we've done, uh, or we're in the process of completing 20 homes in Armenia. Um, we're going to soon be announcing the launch of nine homes that we're building in Artsakh proper um, for these displaced families. But, you know, it's you know, okay, great, 30 homes. And um, that's, you know, that might be 100, 100 and, you know, whatever, 150 people, uh, depending on, you know, how large these families are. But it's a it's a drop in the bucket can, right. when you look at the thousands that need uh, new housing. Yeah, absolutely. Those of you who are just joining us, this is The Blunt Post with Vic. Uh, I am your host, Vic Jaramie. And I am uh, chatting with uh, Peter Abadjian, who is the executive director of the Paris Foundation, just so that uh, people sort of have some hope and also to highlight your work, your great work and achievements. What, maybe I'm missing some, what can we look forward to? What are some highlights? What are some um, positives, if you will? Uh, you know, our work over the last, um, you know, 15, 16 years has helped give families and children in Armenia hope. Uh, when you rebuild a kindergarten, when you rebuild a hospital, um, when you help uh, a, a local organization um, work with, you know, young people in the community, when you're teaching kids computers uh english etc cetera, etc cetera, it builds the the future generation and it and it instills in them a sense of what they can do to help improve their country so you know we're we're trying to lead by example um both in the diaspora as well as locally uh so in the diaspora one of the things that we're trying to show is that you know it's not right to have high overhead and administrative expenses uh you know my luxurious lifestyle is is essentially paid for by one donor who's 
you know, set the foundation up um, to allow us to raise money with 100% of those proceeds going to exactly to the project that uh, the donor intended to in Armenia. So that's one, uh, one, one lesson here. In Armenia, we show, we try to work with the local community, make them understand why we're making decisions, taking certain decisions on, you know, how to redo their infrastructure or, uh, you know, is there a better way? And we work together as partners, um, you know, sort of not telling them why we know better, but listening to them, understanding their needs um, and building this together, involving, you know, kids. We, we planted a fruit orchard, for instance, right on the border with Azerbaijan, um, 800 trees uh, that are actually in blossom uh, mode nice. right now. It's really cool. And uh, those children go out into the fields and work every week as part of their school lessons um, because they're villagers. They're going to have trees, you know, at their homes and they need to know how to care for them. So we've, uh, we're supporting that curriculum. We're supporting that project. And, you know, it, it's that sweat equity goes an awful long way in, in building um, the future. So those kids are, uh, you know, not begrudgingly going out and doing the work, but happily going out um, and enthusiastically engaging in these projects. It's terrific. And, and you know this because you've been there, but, you know, those who have never been to Armenia, it's the going to the countryside and rural communities and seeing like wild fruit trees all over the place, you're like in the middle of nowhere and they're apricot trees and cherry, you know, cherries and plums. And it's just something magical about it. And of course the fruit tastes heavenly. It's, you know, it's that's how fruit's supposed to taste like. Um, it's yeah. such a beautiful organic uh, way of living. And uh I, I just can't even describe it. Maybe I'm biased. You know, I am biased, but it's, it's, I mean, if, if you're listening to this and you're not, a, you're non-Armenian likely, you know, don't, don't, uh, don't misunderstand us. Armenia is a very safe nation and, you know, millions of tourists visit it every year. And it's one of the most uh, beautiful tourist destinations. It's an ancient land with so much culture and history and uh, things to see and places to go. And one of the magics is that, uh, you know, sometimes you're transformed uh, into areas where it's like something out of a storybook and fruit trees are always sort of present there. So I'm always, um, I just love that. I just love that thing about Armenia, uh, that there's fruit trees all over the place. Peter, uh, what question should I have asked you that I may have missed or what would you like to add, including a call to action? Ooh, um, I'm all about call to actions, but, uh, you know, you, you really gave, uh, your listeners and I an excellent opportunity to chat a bit about the work that we're doing and how to engage. Um, you know, our work is all about developing a, a nation and helping, um, you know, solve some of its, uh, or work towards solving some of its problems on a variety of scales. Um, you know, Armenia is the kind of place um, that uh, a little goes an awful long way. So somebody that, um, you know, wants to engage in a small development project or a small uh, humanitarian project should really take a look at Armenia because they can have some excellent outcomes there um, and may really feel uh, a strong sense of accomplishment. Uh, if you're you know, I was a political science major in school and, uh, you know, I'm all about politics and watching and seeing a nation develop, uh, you know, its its advocacy 
uh, uh, process, for instance, is is fascinating to me. Um, so, uh, despite the fact that I'm Armenian and I care deeply about our people, uh, it's it's really a, a microcosm of everything that's good um, and everything that's interesting um, in each sector of the community. There's opportunities to help and engage. So, you know, my call to action is, um, you know, whether you're Armenian or not. Um, Armenia has something that could be very uh, interesting for uh, you and your listeners to to take a look at. Um, and if you know if uh, my you know our little organization can do anything to help facilitate that, we're more than happy to. Uh, thank you for that. Hang on one second, Peter. Uh, if you're just joining us, uh, this is the Blunt Post with Vic on KPFK 90.7 FM. I am your host, Vic Jarami, and I've been uh, chatting with Peter Abajian the executive director of the Paris Foundation uh, about their um, array of work, their humanitarian work uh, and others in Armenia, Artsakh, and, uh, and also in the United States. Peter, before we go, if you can tell us the website for the Paros Foundation one more time. Uh, the website is parosfoundation.org, P-A-R-O-S foundation.org. And you can also find us on uh, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, etc. Fantastic. Thank you so much, Peter, for being on the show. Uh, you're always welcome to come back and uh, I appreciate your time. Thank you so much, Vic. I really appreciate it. And I appreciate the time of your listeners. That was my interview with Peter Abadjian, who, aside from great accomplishments and an impressive resume, he is truly one of the pillars of the Armenian American community and has done extraordinary work uh, from here. Uh, across all the way to Armenia, so it's been a it's been an honor to speak with um, Peter. Uh, thank you very much, Peter, for being on the Blunt Post with Vic, and I hope to chat with you again soon. The Blunt Post with Vic. Patty Smith, and you're listening to Fiercely Independent Pacifica Radio, KPFK 90.7 FM. People have the power. Greetings, sisters and brothers. This is Robbie D. In 1989, I was shooting the documentary First Strike, Portrait of an Activist. My attempts at getting any sort of news coverage for the heroic acts of Katya Komsarik breaking into Vandenberg Air Force Base and destroying several Navstar guidance systems went nowhere. There was not one print, television, or radio outlet that would advise the public of this disarmament action that was in full compliance with international law. Nobody, that is, except for KPFK. Our brave and wise radio station broke the news embargo. The subsequent press coverage allowed the public to learn of the illegal U.S. policy of first-strike targeting of other nations with nuclear weapons. Never underestimate the importance of the genuine free press. KPFK is the real deal. 
Peace out. This is KPFK. Intervision with Nina Valens. Welcome, Matthew Ferry, back to Intervision. Yay, I'm glad to be here again. I love this show. One of the things that you talk about a lot, a lot, a lot is quiet your mind so you can create an epic life. You say that over and over again. So what is a quiet mind and why do we need one? Nina, when you have a quiet mind, you're in the present moment. Intervision with Nina Valens. This is KPFK. You're already a KPFK listener. Should you become a member? One way to decide is to think about how much you listen. You use Democracy Now! to keep you informed on the latest news, update you on important issues, and add important perspective to breaking stories. Maybe you listen to kpfk.org at work, or check the site when there's breaking news, or to download your favorite shows. On the weekend, you catch some of the car show, Rhapsody in Black or Reggae Central. Maybe you tune in Sunday morning for Edna Tatum's Gospel Classics with Gil Fears. See, you do listen enough to give. You spend a lot of time listening to KPFK, and that makes it worthy of your financial support now. I'm Mark Torres, host of Travel Tips for Aslan. Please support programs you love on weekends and all week long by becoming a KPFK Sustainers Circle member today by calling 818-985-5735 now or donate online at kpfk.org. The Blunt Post with Vic. Rafi Berberian is a photographer and historian in the Philadelphia area. He lived in Armenia for two years, participating in the Birthright Armenia program and working on personal projects. In 2017, he started working on a photo and research project called Armenia in Between. The project explores the lesser known sites of Armenia it believes can be important for the future of tourism in the nation that we call Hayastan or Armenia. Good morning, Rafi. Thank you for being on The Blunt Post with Vic this morning. How are you? Good morning. I'm great. Thank you for having me. I'm looking forward to uh, talking to you. Yeah, same here. You're um, calling in from the East Coast. That's right. Right outside of Philadelphia. Yeah. And how's the weather? It is. It's it's getting hot. It was cold. It was in the freezing last week. And now it's now it's in the 70s and 80s. So that's the spring on the East Coast. It snowed last week, and now it's hot enough to go swimming. Oh, wow. Yeah. Well, LA is usually about 80s and 90s around April. Mm. Yeah, so um, I, was, um, I was sort of fascinated to, um, to, to look at your work as a photographer, but especially your, the exhibit that you have, if I can call it that, right? Is that a, an accurate term? I get, yeah, it could be. Uh, I actually, it was uh, in Plovdiv in 2018, 2019, right before the pandemic. Uh, it was an exhibit. It was exhibited there at their Armenia festival. So it has become at some point an exhibit. I usually refer to it as a project, I guess. Right. I'm, I'm specifically talking about Armenia in between. Your work yeah. really showcasing not just Armenia and all of its um, beautiful just stunningly beautiful uh, nature and uh, antiquity and uh, places to see and go and all of that. But uh, you have really focused on uh, the, 
the places that are not the obvious, the places that are not sort of on your top 25 list or top 50 list, rather uh, those gems that are not known by, uh, you know, most people who visit or tour guides uh, and even sometimes locals. I think I know that you and I have talked about this, but sometimes even locals don't know about them. And you've, um, you know, you've focused on that. But before we get into um, Armenia in between, uh, if you sort of want to give a rundown of your work as a photographer and uh, what's inspired you to do all of this. Sure. So um, I started photography probably around oh, over 10 years ago now at my university. You know, I did I did a lot of different things. I did pictures of events, special events, sports. I did all types of things. And uh, after I graduated, I uh, I wanted to continue doing the photography, but it was it was a little bit tough. It was a tough time uh, making money and being you know gaining that success. Uh, during that time, I I knew someone at my church who was involved with the Birthright Armenia program, and that's basically how I ended up going to Armenia for a year. I did the Birthright Armenia program for a year from 2015, summer to spring 2016. And that's where I really, really gained my interest in Armenia and living there and really caring about it. Um, along the way, I did photography and some other work, uh, but that's really where I developed my my photography eye and my how you see today how my photos are architecturally looking at looking at sites and also historically looking knowing what to look for and how to photograph them and really getting a full a full perspective of everything that we see um so that was my photography journey basically um the project itself came from wanting to see more and thinking that I did see everything already. I had went on a family vacation in 2013 to Armenia, the first time in Armenia. And that's where we did the two week and we got in the tour bus and we went to the Khorvirap and the Garni and the Gerhard and the Noravank and the Sevanavank and Yerevan in general. And that's when I thought that I had seen everything. <laughs> which was funny because in retrospect, I really hadn't. Um, so when I did go back again for that long-term year with Birthright and then the year afterwards on my own, that's when I was said, okay, why don't I know more? Why don't I know that there's more things to see? And then you just get on, get on Google, get on Google maps and start looking around and zooming in on things and finding this monastery and that fortress. Uh, and then you find out that, wow, if I go to, if I drive to Tatev Monastery, along the way, 10 minutes from there, five minutes off the road, there's another interesting site to visit. And that's where I got in between from. It's all these places in between all the other places that you know mm -hmm. about. I like that. Yeah. Actually, my mom helped me think of that one. I'll give her credit too. <laughs> yeah. Very clever. Mm -hmm. So, you know, those that are sort of listening, uh, well, first of all, let's, let's sort of remind people, uh, this is The Blunt Post with Vic on KPFK 90.7 FM. I am your host, uh, Vic Jarami, uh, and I am speaking with Rafi Berberian, uh, who is a photographer 
who has an exhibit called Armenia in between. And so for those sort of not familiar with Armenia, um, you know, let's just give them a little bit of a background. Armenia is, is definitely one of the oldest nations, civilizations um, that we know of. It is sort of in the, in, the, in the plateau of the South Caucasus Mountains. That's why the region is called the Caucasus or South Caucasus. Uh, or Transcaucasia, sometimes it was called, and uh, it has and, uh, a lot and, of. And before the twentieth century, it was known as the Armenian Highlands until Armenian Turkey. Highlands. Until Turkey changed its name to Anatolia to erase the Armenianness of it. Yes, and uh, William Saroyan, a famous playwright and novelist, you know, one of his famous plays was called uh, "My Heart's in the Highlands." Um, that's where his family came from. Uh, but I digress. Um, Armenia also has a lot of uh, significance in, in, in religion uh, and mythology and, and such uh, religious, uh, you know, being the land where Noah's Ark landed on Mount Ararat um, and Armenia. The specific Christian denomination of Armenians is apostolic because two of the apostles of Jesus came to Armenia in the first century. Uh, Tadeus and Bartholomew to preach Christianity. Therefore, the Armenian church is called the Apostolic, Armenian Apostolic Church. Um, some refer to it as a Gregorian church, and it's under the larger umbrella of Orthodoxy or Orthodox Church. And of course, Armenia was the first nation to adopt Christianity, a state religion in 301, uh, 11 years before uh, Emperor Constantine of Rome declared uh, Rome, a Christian nation. So there's a lot of significance, a lot of history. Uh, and when you go to Armenia, you are transformed to this sort of this ancient land. And there's so much to see. And as Rafi was saying, there are fortresses from medieval times, but then there's also churches that were built in the fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh century. Uh, some are, you know, a little bit younger, they're Gothic, and some are sort of Renaissance period. Uh, some are newer, uh, their chapels, um, all kinds of things. The old, the world's oldest winery was found in Armenia, as well as, well, the the world's oldest shoe, <laughs> which yep. is you know actually in the same vicinity. So uh, there's so much to see. Um, but for travelers, it's also a, a really incredible nation for uh, adventure travelers and those that like hiking, uh, seeing nature. Um, uh, you know, it's just, it's just, it's a very diverse nation. It's a small nation, but it's very diverse. So, you know, this question is going to come Rafi as to what are your, what are your top three sort of gems that you really like from your list that most of us don't know about? So one of my favorite places, which I've only gotten to visit once, uh, and it was getting actually getting a little dark uh, when I got there, uh, was the uh, Tatevi Anapat, which is this monastery that is, so basically when, when you go to Tatev Monastery, which is one of the most famous Armenian monasteries, you have to take a, the Wings of Tatev, which is an aerial tramway to get mm -hmm. from, one, from one side of the gorge, basically over an, a hill and over another gorge to, to the top of the mountain. But along the way, um, if you look down, you see this square structure, the square walled structure in the middle of the forest. 
and uh, it's my cuckoo clock. Uh, and it's mentioned in the it's mentioned in the recording that's explaining things as it's going up. Oh, here's Tatevi Anapad. It's down there, basically. And everyone, you can look at it, and then that's the end. You don't think about it again. Um, that is, it's one of my one of the spots that really embodies the in between because you look at it, you see it, and then you just keep going. But if you drive down that gorge and you take the ten minute hike, it's you. It's not hard to get to, and you could find this sixteenth uh, 16th, 16th century monastery. Huge walls completely intact, completely empty. And it's, it's just enchanting. It's, it's a place that, that you, everyone, everyone, every tourist that goes will see it, but nobody will actually ever see it. And wow. that's a place that I want people to be able to go, to go look at and say, wow, you got all the way, you drove six hours or five hours to get to Southern Armenia to see this monastery. And you're so close to that other thing. Why don't you should just go visit it? It's really important in history. And there's a lot of it was a major site back when it was founded. And now it's just ignored. Um, so that's one of the one place. Interesting. Um, that I don't know. There's so many things in my head. Uh, I really liked there's another monastery or it's a church. I, it's kind of a it's a monastery, but it might it's not much left to it um it's located it's the gregor lusavoricher saint gregory the illuminator church uh it's on the edge of the kasach river gorge which is a large gorge uh that's north of yerevan and famously it has the ohanavan ohanavang and sagmosavant monasteries which i'll call them second tier tourism sites because mm -hmm. i I've been there with, with tour groups before. So some people know about it, but this place is directly in between, again, directly in between both of them mm -hmm. uh, on the edge of the gorge. And first off, it's a beautiful view. The gorge is amazing to look at. And if you look right down the gorge on a clear day, you'll have a perfect view of Mount Ararat. Um, and then to the left of the church, there's a fortress, the remains of another fortress. Uh, so it has two, two things. It has a church. It has a fortress. Directly ahead, you'll see Mount Ara, uh, which is another prominent Armenian mountains. Uh, there's Mount Aragats, which is the tallest one. And then Mount Ara is usually the one that it's easier to see from wherever tourists are going. Um, again, there's beautiful carvings, there's hotchkars in the field, you just have to look around and walk around the Armenian cross stones, beautifully carved. Not much left of the church, there's the vaulted hall is still there, and you can see where most of it was, but it's, it's, it was just another place that I really, you, in the distance, you can see the other monastery right on the edge of the gorge, but you would never know that it's there, uh, unless unless you looked at my project, I guess, because it's hard to find. It's, it's, on the, it's on Google Maps. There's, a, there's a, a pin for it on there, but unless you're looking for it, you're not going to find it. Uh, number three, probably the uh, Havutstar Monastery. Havutstar is a monastery that's on the edge of the Khosrov Forest Reserve. Um, the Khosrov Forest Reserve is actually the oldest oldest reserved piece of land in the world. 
It was created in the fourth century as a reserve for the hunting wow. grounds for the uh, uh, royal Armenian families during that time. And so that's where they would go hunting. They would have their own churches there. And it's where is that? Uh, so so part. This, is, this is where it's interesting. So if you go to Garni Temple, mm -hmm. which is top, top three Armenia tourist sites, right? and you know where to look, you can see this monastery in, up on the gorge on the other side of the gorge behind oh. the, behind the uh, temple. If you know where to look, you can see it. Oh, wow. If you don't, if you don't know where to look, it's invisible. Um, that's what, that's another reason why I really like interesting. You have to get permission to go into the reserve. You just call somebody and hopefully answer. And then you got to get back past the security without him trying to get you to sit down and eat with him or have coffee uh -huh. with him. Um, but yeah, you hike up there. It's like a, a 10, 15, 15 minute hike. Not hard to get to, but not from Godney, right? So, um, in Garni, there's a, a path, there's a road that goes down into the gorge, paved right. road, it's paved. And right. once you get to the bottom, there's some bridges, like little bridges that goes across the gorge and you drive back up the other side of the gorge and the entrance to one of the entrances to the reserve is there. And that's where you get out and you hike 10, 15, maybe 20 minutes to the monastery. It's a huge site. There's a big, there's a, a church up on the hill above the rest of the monastery and then the rest of it is walled and there's three two other churches down below in that whole area um we were there and we saw someone doing a, a chicken sacrifice while we were there oh uh, yeah it was an interesting experience uh then they offered us to have a picnic with them so mm -hmm. it, it's that's how our they're not is. they're not in use right the churches uh no they're all it's it's they're not active they're oh. all mostly they're mostly ruined yeah uh the walls the walls are all there, mostly mostly intact. The only thing that's missing basically are the roofs of the churches. So if you walk around the monastery for an hour or so, or you know, as long as you want, you could find all these little Armenian cross stones. You could find, you could look find the pedestals where the sacrifices uh, are traditionally done. Um, there's a, lot, a wealth of things to look for. And if you climb up to the hill at the top of the monastery behind it, you can see Mount Ararat. You know, it's it's all right there. And again, it's only 25, 30 minutes away from Yerevan, the capital. It's not hard to get to. Yeah. Uh, this is The Blunt Post with Vic on KPFK 90.7 FM. I am your host, uh, Vic Jaramie, uh, and I am speaking with Rafi Berberian, uh, who is a photographer who has an exhibit called Armenia in Between. Wow, well, that's um, just those three you know, it makes you want to be there again and go visit them because I haven't I haven't been to either one, any one of them. I've been to Gardani, but no one told me that there was um, sort of, you know, two or three other churches so close by. Um, but before we go, uh, Rafi, if you can uh, tell people how to reach you, um, your website and such, and uh, find all of this wealth of information. So I, um, I have my social media, which is Rafi Berberian Photography on Instagram and Facebook. And then uh, my website is rafibarbarianphotography.com. Um, yeah. On the social media, I, I up, you know, every once a week or so, I'll update with a new site, with the research about the site, write-ups about it. Uh, basically, in addition to the photos of my project, uh, I'm trying to really sh teach people what they're looking at. 
And again, the information is not easy to find. And a lot of times what I realized doing the project is if you search in Armenian letters on Google, you'll find different results and more things than if you're just mm. searching in English. So I've, I put together the Armenian and the English results and I write things and I put them with the pictures. Uh, so that's what you'll find there. So you can actually learn about the places and why it's significant. Um, and then on my website is where you can find, basically it's all the same things, but also an additional photos uh, because I post through Instagram, it's only the social media only has 10 photos for each one. Um, and also, you know, lower quality photos because they're getting uploaded to Instagram. On my website, you'll see the full quality photos. You'll be able to, on each of those sites, you can click the map button and it'll open up Google and you'll see on the map where it is. There's also a maps page on my Facebook or on my uh, website where you can see all the places that I've visited. Uh, and you can click on it, then you can go to, to the album from there if you'd like. So it's a good, it's a good visual representation of the project. And I think that's an important part of the project is the accessibility of the information so people can find it because oh. it's not easy to find. And that's really what I'm going for. Well, let's give them your website. Uh, again, it's rafilreberianphotography.com. Uh, uh, Rafi, thank you for uh, for being on the show and sort of telling us these cool uh, just just cool information that I didn't I didn't know, and uh, yeah. I'm gonna have to. Well, I looked at your website, but I'm gonna have to go do it more thoroughly, uh, and uh, especially when I go back to Armenia again. So thank you again for uh, being on the show. You're welcome. So happy to be here. And I hope everyone uh, gets a chance to check it out and, uh, and enjoy it. And hopefully they're inspired. Awesome. Thanks, Rafi. Mm -hmm. Thank you. That was photographer uh, Rafi Berberian, who uh, really opened up my eyes because I've been to Armenia many times, but uh, there are many places that I've never uh, not only visited, but even knew about. So <clears throat> it's been a pleasure getting to know these places, and I really appreciate uh, Rafi's work on this. Uh, thank you for being on the show, Rafi, and, uh, and I hope to chat with you again soon. Before we go, I'd like to thank my producer, Ricky Herrera, without whom this show would not be possible, and KPFK, the station that brings you unfiltered and commercial-free news, opinion, and hopefully some inspiration. Thank you for joining me today on The Blunt Post with Vic. Tune in next Monday at 6 a.m. for another episode. For more information, please visit thebluntpost.com. You can also follow me on Instagram and Twitter at Vic Jarami, at V-I-C-G-E-R-A-M-I. -E Thank you. The Blunt Post with Vic.